Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. As food bloggers, we want the best, most robust tools that can help us improve our ranking with Google. SEMrush is the way to go. It is an all-in-one marketing toolkit for those of you wanting to analyze SEO, get ideas for gaining more organic traffic, discover market insights, and reveal competitors' metrics. I have been using SEMrush for my own blog and have seen steady growth in my organic traffic. The tools and features offered inside are powerful and they work. Get a 14-day free trial with SEMrush when you use my affiliate link. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. SEMrush, the powerful tool that will change your SEO game. Hello, food bloggers. Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you, food bloggers who are seeking value for your blogs and for your lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Britta Britnell from Food with Feeling, and we will be discussing food videography. Britta runs a mostly plant-based food blog centered around encouraging omnivores to try out more meat-free and plant-based recipes. She also co-runs the Food Video Academy, where she teaches other bloggers how to create beautiful and engaging food recipe videos. She has a passion for videography and loves having the opportunity to help others dive into the world of recipe videos. I have a feeling this is going to be a super informative chat today, but before we begin, Britta, give us a quick fun fact about yourself. Yeah, I have a few, but the one that I'll go with is that I played roller derby for eight years here in Nashville. Oh, cool. I know I have a few friends who have done that and it's so fun. Yeah, it's super fun. I miss it a lot, but it's very time consuming. So that in conjunction with my business, I just couldn't do both of them. But then also I kind of retired to have a baby. So... (laughs) I kind of thought maybe I would go back, but I don't know how I would fit it into my life, but it's super fun. So fun. I love that. Fun to learn that about you. Thank you for sharing. Now on to our main topic, which is a hot topic for food bloggers, food videography. In the past few years, food videography has exploded. And although it has evolved a little bit, it still remains an important part of food bloggers' businesses, I think. And I think video is such a unique medium because it opens the doors for just an unlimited amount of creativity. And it's a great way to tell a story about who we are and to tell stories about the food that we are so passionate about. So let's start with the basics, Britta. Talk to us about basic equipment needed in order to get started with creating recipe videos. Yeah, I've always been a huge advocate for you to just use whatever you have. Now, I will say that I suggest as quickly as possible upgrading, but if what you have right now is your cell phone, use that. I know someone who, a a blogger friend of mine who made a video just using her iPhone and it went viral on Facebook and got something like 3 million views. It was a really simple, like how, how to properly bake spaghetti squash video, but she made it and edited, edited it on her phone and it went viral. Now that's kind of a special case, but still I encourage people to just get started with what they have. And then from there, somewhat quickly, most bloggers end up getting some sort of a DSLR or even an mirrorless is getting more popular these days. Like really whatever you have, you can make great videos with. And I have lots of resources. I can talk more in detail if you're interested to know kind of 
more detail, but I, it's like, I'm such a big advocate for just use what you have right now. And then you can very quickly figure out the direction that you want to go, meaning what kinds of lenses to get for the kinds of videos that you're wanting to shoot more of. So where do you recommend after you kind of get used to like, let's say you start with a phone, you get used to that and you realize you need to take it to the next level. What do you recommend? Yeah. So this is honestly very different for everyone. I recommend to all of my clients and to everyone wanting to get into video to get kind of a mid-range DSLR. You can go out and buy the nicest Canon 5D Mark IV, but it's really not necessary. In fact, I was wanting to upgrade my camera a year ago and I kept looking at that and I ended up getting the Canon 60 Mark II, which is about half of the price. And it's amazing. I've, I've since rented and used the 5D Mark IV quite a bit. I like my Canon 60 Mark II so much better. It has a flip screen on it, which just comes it's like is so awesome in in so many different ways of shooting video. So I am a huge advocate of that particular camera. However, I know quite a few people that use Sony and even Canon, and I know Nikon just came out with one, but mirrorless cameras can also be really great for shooting video. And the nice thing about them is that they're typically a little less expensive and they're just easier to handle. They're not so big and bulky and you can use your same lenses. You can still like put nicer lenses on them. Tell us, what does mirrorless mean? So it just means that it doesn't have a mirror in it. So like a DSLR literally has a mirror in it. And so it's kind of make, I'm probably not going to talk about this properly, but it doesn't have the mirror in it. It kind of makes it bigger and bulky. The mirrorless is all electronic. And so it's, it's doing it without that mirror. I don't prefer it as much, but they are, the technology is getting better and better these days where they really are very good quality cameras at this point. I think the technology all around, even with phones, like if you're starting with a phone, is so much better than it was even just like two years ago. So I think you can really start or upgrade to that next level and do it affordably. And not just with cameras, but I've seen this for lenses too. There are plenty of lenses available that are really, really cheap and they're really nice. Yeah. And so I kind of focused on cameras and left out some other important things. Lenses are also really important, but I will throw out there, and this is ties in hand in hand with photography. I started personally for like a year only shooting with my like $100, $50, like nifty 50 lens. And so that is an amazing place to start. It gives you a little bit less flexibility. If budget is an issue, I, like it's a great lens to start with. And then the other lens that I always recommend people get, which again, great for photography, but like essential in my opinion for videography is a macro lens. And I use a hundred millimeter macro lens. And those are, you can get one starting, I think at four or $500 and like anything they go up to in the thousands, depending on how nice you, the one you get. And then right now I shoot with a 24 to 70 zoom lens. Cause I, I love the flexibility that that allows where I can kind of just put my camera on my C-stand, my overhead tripod, and then just zoom in and out without having to move the whole scene around. And I really like that for video. I don't prefer it for photography, but I like the zoom lens a lot for video. Then the other like must have for shooting videos is some sort of a C-stand or tripod. So I use both. I use my tripod on the side. I use my tripod for my side shots. And then I have a somewhat simple, I think it was maybe $300 a C-stand, which kind of is just like a bar with a, another bar attached to it. And that's what I use for my overhead shots. So back to the lenses real quick and cameras. Do you recommend finding a body that 
has capabilities for autofocus? Yeah, that's a really good question. By autofocus, do you mean that it'll focus while you're recording? Or do you just mean... I get those confused because technically autofocus was when you just like hold down the shutter button and it'll like automatically focus as opposed to you having to like turn the dial on the lens. So I call that mid-record focus. The Canon 60 Mark II, which is one of the original reasons I upgraded, does have that. It's called like Al Servo mid-record autofocus. So if I pick a cookie up off of the plate and I pull it up towards the camera, it'll automatically focus on that. And I learned that that was an absolute necessity for me shooting food videos. You definitely don't need it. It's not, you don't need it starting out, but it's something that I recommend getting that ability. I just like always keep my cameras and I hate using my Canon 60 not the Mark II, like the old version, the Canon 60. I hate using that because it doesn't have that mid-record autofocus. So sometimes if I just move the cookie, even just like an inch up or down or back and forth, it gets out of focus and you just don't really realize that until you go to edit the footage. Having that, like having it, you call it mid-range focus, right? Having that is, it just adds character to the video I found because I've done it both ways. And it's, I mean, yeah, you can get it done without, but there's so much more. It's like, I used to just use it in certain circumstances. And then I've, I've come up with so many fun, creative ways. Like one of my favorite shots that I get both like for top down and from the side is just like taking a scoop of chili out of the pot and then like bringing it up to the camera. It's just such a fun and interactive like motion. And you, like you cannot get that without having that like autofocus. And I have also learned, so I know some friends that shoot with Sony and the like mid record autofocus is not nearly as fast as with the Canon 60 Mark II. And then I know the Canon 5D Mark IV also has that ability. It's just, it's really fast. Mm, That's so cool. Yeah. Definitely a feature to uh, keep your eye out for if you're looking to get more into food videos. Okay. So back to, you mentioned the C-Stand. Can you talk to us about that? I used to use two different tripods. I had a tripod that kind of had like an adjustable arm so you could take it apart and make it so that it was parallel and would go overhead. And that worked great for me for quite a few years. And I would just kind of anchor it down with a can of paint, but I found it a little restricting and it would shake a little bit. And so I wanted a really dedicated setup. So I kind of just researched it and asked around what other people were using and found a C stand that works great for me. So, I mean, it's kind of like I said, it's just a really sturdy, it's two poles just attached together. And then your camera can attach, can attach to it so that it's just like permanently overhead and you can move it up and down, but you don't necessarily adjust to the angle of it as like you would a tripod. So it's nice because it just stays overhead. And because I have the zoom lens, I just zoom in and out based on how I want the scene to look. And then I don't have to adjust. I don't touch my camera or the C stand whatsoever, unless I'm taking my camera off to shoot a side shot. Do you have a specific brand that you like? I don't. So what I actually did, and I do have it written down somewhere, which one I have, and I can um, give that to you for the notes. I called B&H and just explained to them what I needed. And I hear a lot of people recommend that. And I as well will recommend it because it really is nice. You can kind of explain your setup or maybe you can, like, if you have a smaller space, they can recommend something different for you. And it's nice as well because you have to buy like a head to go on it. It doesn't come with the piece of equipment to attach your camera to it. You have to buy like a separate ball head. And then you also need a little clip 
to attach the ball head to the C-stand. So I enjoy being able to call B&H and just explain them what I need and then have them tell me. Yeah, absolutely. That's great info. So let's move on because I know we have a lot to cover. So just basically in a nutshell, as far as equipment, get started with what you have. If that's what's holding you back, just use your phone and then upgrade when you can. And you gave some recommendations for some good camera options and lens options. And we'll write those out in your show notes as well. So people have those as kind of a guideline. And then just, you know, making sure you have that. I am going to forget the name of it. (laughs) What did you call the autofocus? I call it mid record. So it it will focus like mid record, like mid recording. (laughs) That's a made up term. But I I think at least for Canon, it's called Al Servo, like A-L-S-E-R-V-O is what my cameras is called. And I think every every model, like Nikon calls it something else. (laughs) Yeah, it's different for every model. So keep an eye out for that if you want to do that, like really cool, like changing around depth of field focusing and then the c-stand and the tripod so let's move on to different types of food videos that are trending right now and talk to us about what the benefits are of each style so there's kind of different levels of the different types so i'll kind of just go over the main ones when it comes to food videos that people are most familiar with is tasty which also a lot of people also will call them the hands and pans so it's essentially just a lot of top down up close shots where all you see are someone's hands in the frame cooking the food. These have been really popular. I think they were made popular by BuzzFeed's Tasty and just exploded. And they do extremely well on social media, in my experience. And social media, meaning like Facebook and Instagram, they do well there, largely because people are do not want to listen to them with sound. I've looked at my stats before, and it's something like 90% of people are watching my videos with no sound. So it's nice because... They don't have to hear you talk or whatever. They can just be watching it on silent and just see what's happening quickly. And then they're also typically very fast motion. Things are happening quickly. They're only a minute long. And on Facebook and Instagram, people don't really want to, like, more often than not, they just want a very quick bite-sized bit of entertainment. And that's the way that I see them mostly is, I mean, they are educational, but it's mostly I view them when I make them, I I come at them as I'm going to entertain the people and hopefully leave them drooling and wanting to find out more. But at the end of the day, I'm aiming to entertain them with the video. And that's something you can go about that in different ways. But when I make quick, tasty style videos, I'm typically aiming to entertain. And then ones that I've dabbled in a little bit more are tasty style-esque, but a little bit slower and a, a little bit more artsy. And I think that this really depends on your audience. But I see a lot of people doing these well on Instagram where it's the same style. It's the same concept. You're just mostly seeing hands or maybe more often in this, maybe you're seeing like someone's torso and you're kind of seeing them in the background, like cooking the food, but it's still no talking. It's just like a focus on the food and what is being made and still typically shorter. And then obviously there are the cooking show style, more of what you would see on YouTube or possibly IGTV, which is someone talking. And those can definitely be entertaining. And a lot of people watch them purely for entertainment, but they also can be very educational. And that's where you find people, if you search right now, how to make spaghetti squash, more and more Google is pushing video. Like you'll sometimes videos pop up at the very top. And instead of getting an article on how to make it, you're seeing like the very first option is click on a video on watch someone make it. And for something easier like that, it could be 
a quick no talking with just text on the screen, or it could be someone standing again, like, kind of cooking show style, explaining to you verbally how to make this recipe. So you mentioned tasty style kind of being great for social media, Facebook and Instagram. What about the styles that are good for your blogs and maybe to put on YouTube? I honestly don't know if I know the answer, but I can tell you what I've been doing lately. I'm trying really hard to break into YouTube. I I only have like a thousand YouTube followers, but it's something I've wanted to do for so long. It's just been finding the time. So what I have been doing and I'm seeing a lot of other bloggers doing and I think is, is brilliant is trying to do both with the same footage. I'll record a tasty video where you're mostly just seeing my hands or maybe you kind of see me, but it's not, I'm not talking or anything. And use that footage and make a really fast cut, like quick cuts video that I can use on social media, but then also recording what I say, call like an intro and outro. So I'll stand in my kitchen and record myself saying like, welcome to food with feeling today. I'm going to be showing you how to make the most delicious vegan brownies. And then it'll jump to the footage that I use for that tasty video. I'll slow it all down. So it's just more of a natural pace. I'll record a voiceover. So then like over that footage, you'll hear, all right, now we're going to grab a big bowl and we're going to whisk together our flour and our sugars. I'm able to repurpose that in both ways because I find those longer form videos better for YouTube and I prefer them on my blog. Most of the time, I think when someone clicks on a video on your blog, they're wanting to know how to make the recipe. And if you remember earlier, I said, when I make tasty videos, I'm more just aiming to entertain them. So on my blog, I'm trying to give them a well-rounded informational, like educational video. That makes sense. Obviously, it would require a lot more time and planning up front to do something like that, but well worth it. I mean, if you can repurpose and kind of cut certain parts out and use it for a tasty style video and then use the whole thing to put on your blog or to uh, to put onto YouTube, that would be amazing. (laughs) And on the flip side of that, I have done, I have a couple videos, only a couple where I only recorded a YouTube video. So I was kind of talking the whole time. I didn't record it in a way that made it possible to make it tasty. And those videos for me and my audience just do not do well on Instagram, which is a place that I really focus a lot of my time and energy. So I either have to record two videos or do what I just said, where I kind of try and record it in a way that I can repurpose the footage and use it in both ways. And that's something that's really important when you're making videos is what is your end goal? And I always think about that. And sometimes your end goal can be multiple things. Like I want it to do well on YouTube and I want it to do well on Instagram, but those are completely different platforms. And if you just post one video in both places, like maybe it'll go viral on, on Instagram, but it's not going to do well on YouTube. So I just like to keep that in mind and make a video that really caters to each platform. And that's exhausting, but I love video and I want my videos to do well. So I try and take the extra time. Another small example of it is I have like an end card for YouTube where, you know, you can click to subscribe and click to watch like my late, like my newest video or my last video. And when I export that, I take that off for Instagram because I don't want that to be on Instagram. I don't want Instagram to see that cue and be like, wait a second, this was a YouTube video. Yeah. And if video is important to you and an important part of your business, then you're obviously going to go through those extra steps up front and just like make sure that you're catering to each platform. So you mentioned that the one kind of 60 second mark is what to aim for on Instagram. And is that kind of where we should shoot for on Facebook as well? 60 seconds? 
it's funny because all of my clients have different opinions on this and no one really knows, but I hear a lot of people aiming for a minute and 30 on Facebook and a lot of people aiming for three. And the three minute is that you can't monetize a video on Facebook unless it's uh, unless it's three minutes. I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm not a Facebook expert. So I see most people saying like a minute 30 does well. And if you want to monetize it, it has to be three minutes. Now, I know from experience, like unless it's a very complex recipe, you cannot make a tasty style video three minutes unless you just like stir for 30 straight seconds. Like it just doesn't work. That's another opportunity that you can use those longer form videos where you kind of have an intro and an outro and you're talking a little bit slower over top of the footage, explaining verbally how to make it. So what about time frame for your actual blog? What's a good time there? And also what's a good time frame for YouTube if you want to grow your YouTube following? Is there a set number of minutes there. So YouTube, I actually took a really extensive like YouTube bootcamp with someone to help me launch my channel. And they were very big advocates that on YouTube, it's just completely different. And so I was told, and I'm still experimenting with this to try out different lengths. And then the nice thing is that YouTube has very extensive analytics that you can dive into and then just go in and look at your retention rate. So it takes some trial and error and it really is different for everyone. So it kind of depends on your audience. So really you can look at where are people dropping off. If people are dropping off after only a minute, you probably need to change your videos a little bit to keep them longer. But if they're dropping off after like five minutes of a 12 minute long video, that might be a cue for you that your videos should only be like five or seven minutes long. But if they're always watching to the end of any video, that might be a cue to you that you could make your videos longer. And the nicest thing about longer videos on YouTube just means that you can insert more ads and make more money if that's something that you're interested in doing, monetizing YouTube that way. But so it's really different for everyone. And then on your blog, I don't really know if I have a clear answer for that. I do know that for me, I've noticed most of the time people don't watch the videos on my blog for more than about 30 seconds. That's not necessarily saying that they should be 30 seconds because I usually put longer form videos on my blog, but that's something I'm still experimenting with for sure. Or a collection. I have a huge collection of different lengths and style videos on my blog. And I think, I don't know, just give people an array of things that they can watch. I loved your recommendations about YouTube to just experiment and look at where people are dropping off. And I think it's probably different for everyone, right? I mean, one person might kill it with three minute videos and one person might go to 12. I think that sounds crazy going to 12, but I know that some people are really successful with that. That requires a high level of like a like really good on-camera personality and ability to really hold an audience. Because for me, I'm mine end up being more around the five minute mark, unless it's a really like I did a comprehensive video all about like the different ways to cook tofu, and that was naturally longer just because it was a lot of information. But typically, if it's just one recipe, I'm finding that my YouTube videos fall around five minutes. Yeah, that's a good point, too. If it's just a single recipe, it's obviously going to be different than if it's a how to cook rice 19 ways, then it's going to be way longer. Give us your best advice for creating viral videos. I spoke at a conference recently. And so before the conference, I asked all. So I work with currently seven clients that I work with regularly. They're all bloggers. And they all are fairly larger bloggers, some that have millions of Instagram followers. And I asked them what they thought the key to virality was. And all of them, even the ones that have millions of followers were like, I have no idea. Like, I can't figure it out. You think every time you think you figure it out, you try and replicate it and it just tanks. And so unfortunately, there isn't a clear key. 
But one of the things I always like to advocate is like when you're going to make a video, taking a quick step back and thinking, what is the purpose of the video? So I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think it's important to know that not every video is going to be viral, but not every video even should be viral necessarily. So I'm trying to do more of these, but I think that there are different kinds of videos. So like there's the obvious, like I'm making a video that I want to be viral. That's like one category. And then in other categories are I'm making a video that I think will genuinely be of use to the viewer, meaning I'm going to show them this kind of complex way to like crimp the pie crust. And it's best for them to see my hands doing it as opposed to trying to explain it on my blog via pictures and text. Like having a video will be super useful to them. It might not go viral, but that's not the point of it. The point of it is to like bring value to your audience. And then there's also what I kind of call like entertaining slash just like connecting with your viewers. So it might, I don't have a good example of this right now, but if you're able to make a video that doesn't necessarily go viral, but will genuinely be super engaging to your existing audience. I always think of Instagram because it's such a focus of mine. It's like, you're not just trying to constantly get bigger and bigger and grow more. You're trying to like engage with the audience that you have now. And so I've been trying to come up with fun new ways of making videos that do that. So if it goes viral or if it brings in new followers, great. But my purpose of it is doing something that can really engage the audience that I have now. But back to the viral one, I do have a few tips that I've seen along the way that there are certain recipes that do the best. So typically either something that's like ridiculously short, like take a puff pastry and like folded in this cute way and put some jam on it. And doesn't that look adorable? And it was super simple, like really quick things like that seem to like go viral or like have a higher rate of going viral, if you will. And then kind of on the flip side of that, like super weird and complex things <laughs> like take a puff pastry and fold it these like 10 different ways and like do all these different things to it. And like, it looks really cool at the end or something. Those also seem to go viral. So it's like either something super quick and easy or kind of complex that's really creative. And then kind of just like one step further from that is just like really super like simple recipes that people can imagine themselves going home and making like tonight. Like like you just threw this like really cool sauce together and spaghetti and people probably have everything at home to make it and you made it look delicious. Those are the other ones that seem to go viral for me. The ones for me that have gone crazy that I didn't expect involve like really big stringy cheese pulls. <laughs> Um, I have a crock pot spinach artichoke dip that, I mean, it's a great recipe, but I had no idea how much people would love this because we were able to catch this cheese pull that was just like out of this world. So people, and we put that right in the beginning. So people were like, oh my gosh. And it got so many views on Instagram. I was, I think it's like my most viewed video on Instagram. Yeah. So basically what you're saying here is that, you know, simple recipes, quick, weird cooking or baking procedures that are kind of appealing to people. But really, maybe the point is to never aim for viral. Maybe the point is to aim for quality and just providing information, good information to your audience and engagement. I like that you mentioned that too, just really trying to engage in a unique way. I don't know. I mean, I think that there's value in not maybe focusing on the word viral and like, oh, I really hope this goes viral. But instead, just aiming for really fulfilling your audience. Yeah, I have a recipe. So it's just instant pot baked potatoes. It's like the most, ba it's literally just put potatoes in an instant pot, put water in there and like cook it. <laughs> That's it. And I made a video largely for SEO purposes so that 
having that video on my post maybe would make people stick around longer as a cue to Google that it's a valuable post. So that's the reason I made the video. So it was kind of like SEO focused and educational. Not that people need to see a video to figure out that recipe, but I posted it on Instagram very reluctantly. I wasn't going to post it because I was like, this is so boring and basic how to cook potatoes. Like sure enough, that ended up getting like 200,000 views, which is viral for me. And it did amazing. And yeah, so it's just like, you never know. Like I I was so close to not hitting publish on that video. I was like, I'm not even going to post this on social media. What's the point? It's just trying not to come at it from that viral standpoint. Yeah. And I think that that applies to blog posts as well. And we can all relate to that. We think that something is going to kill it and it doesn't. And then, like you said, Britta, you like didn't, you almost didn't even press publish, but then it does really well. So you just never know. Put it out there. If you're feeling it, I say press publish. If you've made it, of course, put it out there. So this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before with styles, but I want to make sure to ask you this. How do we decide which style of video to create for our blogs? And is this something that you believe evolves over time? Or do you think we need to pick a style and stick with it? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So there was one other thing I want to say, and it ties into this, which is just largely just experiment. So I was, I was going to say like when we were talking about the virality stuff and this applies to like, what kind of recipes should I write for my blog and what kind of photography should I do, but look at what's performed well for you and repeat that. I have a vegan muffins video and it's just like, I can post it. And every single time I post it, it either goes viral or at least it, it at least does extremely well. And so I was like, maybe I should make more of those. Like chocolate vegan muffin recipe. And every time those do well, like my audience, even though I am not a baker, I mean, I have baked goods, but my blog is not centered around baking. Like my baked goods just always do well. And I think that's true for a lot of people. But as far as choosing a style, I think I highly recommend to experiment with it, A, what you like, and then B, also what's working with your audience. I really like somewhat slower, like the tasty videos or like like the way that BuzzFeed does them to me are just so fast. And they also show every single step. And I try and like let my viewer have a little bit more of imagination so that they don't need me to see every single step. Like they can kind of use their imagination to be like, oh, that's how she got from point A to point B. Like I'll start showing something, but then kind of like jump to the next scene where it's all done. So I like the slower, but too slow. And it doesn't work for me. Like I've tried to get a little more like creative and artsy with my videos. And I do those sometimes because I enjoy them, but they never perform very well for me. And I've seen that to be true for a lot of other people. And I think that's just like the audience that I have. Like I grew my audience around those faster videos. Like that's like people saw those faster videos and hit like. And so then they see the kind of more slow, like melancholic type videos. And they're like, oh, this is different. And I don't know if I like it. And that's fine. But so I think what I'm trying to say is like experiment with it for sure. The longer form like YouTube style videos, I really see that being the future of like largely being the future of food blogging. But they also just take a lot more time and are way more time consuming. And I think one of the biggest hurdles for people is that it requires you to stand on the other side of the camera and put make like, you know, like look presentable and talk and talk in front of the camera, which I still like 
I've been doing it for six months on. I still get really nervous and have to re-record things a hundred times. I am the worst. I am. I like get in front of the camera and I just like freeze up. I'm like, it is just like me here. I don't need to freak out. But yeah, just the thought of knowing that I am going to be putting my face out for everybody to see is so almost upsetting. And I know that a lot of people feel that way too. I hear that all the time. People are like, I I would love to record that style of video, but I just can't get in front of camera. So it really does take an amount of just courage to get over that fear and just, I think, do it. I know it's annoying hearing our own voices and seeing our own faces and kind of the weird thing, quirky things we do, but nobody else is going to notice that. And I would say, you know, as far as finding your style, I, when I first started out and even now, I just obsessively watch other people's videos. So I have been really into the way that Minimalist Baker has been doing her videos. And it's just, it's very similar to Tasty, but she just put her own kind of different spin on it. And I really like it. I feel like six months or a year ago, it felt like taste, like kind of just, just like hands and pans were getting a little just like overdone. But then Minimalist Baker and I've seen some other bloggers just come in and do the same thing, but with their own spin on it. And just like, it just feels very fresh and original, even though it's ultimately the same thing. It's just like someone's hands were like showing how to make food. So I suggest like watching the way other people do it and kind of like taking inspiration from that and then also experimenting yourself with different angles and and different editing styles, if you will. So kind of a combination of sorting through your analytics or even looking at your comments, what people are commenting on the most and what people are liking the most. And then also just watching what others are doing, what others who are successfully creating videos are doing and then putting your own spin on it. I like that as kind of a place to start if, if you're not sure where to go next with your style because for a long time the hands only style was just like you said it was kind of felt like it was getting old and like it was too saturated like there were too many of them every time I opened Facebook or Instagram I was like almost like oh goodness I can't take another one of those so I like that people are putting new spins on it Oh, I have a question about something that I have been putting a lot of thought into recently. I think about all of those videos that I've created and the time and the energy that has been poured into making them and bringing them to life. And while I know that they are providing value on my website for people who are there, I feel like there is almost untapped potential in them and that there are other avenues that could allow them to shine. So what are some ways that we can repurpose our video content on platforms besides our blogs. How do you ask this? Cause I am really passionate about this and it's something that I've been kind of preaching a lot lately. And there are so many different ways that you can repurpose footage. So I was kind of talking earlier about like doing YouTube videos where you record just hands and pans shots, but then having an intro and an outro. I've been doing that with old videos. So I've been taking a video that I shot like even two years ago, like taking that footage um, you have to have kept it all and stored it properly and like know where to find it, which sometimes is a problem for people. But if you still have that project file, I take that footage and then I just will, I will just like stand in my kitchen and like, all I'm doing is an intro and outro. So I'm like, today we're going to make these vegan brownies. And then I'll just like turn the camera off and then do another clip. That's like, all right, it's that easy to make these brownies. I'm excited to see you making them. Don't forget to tag me on Instagram when you do like however I want to do it. Sometimes if it's applicable, I'll, I'll add more like, oh, I just want to let you know that I use this special kind of flour and I also tested them with this. You can add kind of these antidotes in there. I often like to look at the blog post to see like what were the questions I answered or 
like pain points did I like help solve in within the blog post? And then I just sandwich that intro and the outro on either end of old footage that's already edited and ready to go. All I do is I slow it down. And then I just I have a super simple mic that I plug directly into my computer. And then I just watch the footage and then talk over it. So like, I'll just like watch what my hands are doing and then it basically explain what's happening. And I've had a lot of success with those posting those on YouTube. And, and then I really like embedding those on my blog. And to take that one step further, I have noticed that what seems to be really popular on YouTube are roundups. So like four easy dinner, like four easy weeknight dinners. Like, and so it's a video that's like going to show you four different, like, it seems like multiples are really popular on YouTube or like four easy after school snacks or even just like three, or sometimes it's like a crazy number. And so I will just take videos that I shot, like all different, like some of them I shot two years ago, some of them I shot a year ago, some last week. And so I have one on my blog that I did somewhat recently that was just like vegan muffins because vegan muffins perform well for me. And so I rounded up like four different vegan muffins that I had. And I basically just like edited the footage all together. I recorded it an intro and an outro. Like, all right, today I'm going to show you how to make four of my favorite, like easy vegan muffins. And then I just recorded voiceovers for all of them. And it ended up being this like awesome YouTube video. And it, that one actually did well on on IGTV. I posted it on IGTV and that one did well there. And that's another like really great way. And then on top of that, if this isn't too much info, the posts that are performing, I am seeing a lot of success from roundup posts. So like, like if someone searches, I just keep using this example, vegan muffins or even like vegan dinners or like healthy weeknight dinners, roundups are doing extremely well right now are like a great source of traffic for a lot of bloggers, myself included. And the one of the things that I think helps us so much like bump up in Google is having that roundup video because it's not just like a list of recipes. It's like also you have this cool video. So I did one recently that was just like easy vegan dinners and it was like a list of 20 recipes. And then I did a compilation video of four. I didn't record anything but the intro and outro for this. And altogether, it took me maybe an hour to, to film and edit it. And then I just kind of like put sliced together four recipe videos that I already had shot, like some of them multiple years ago and put that together. And then that post like has done so well in Google much quicker than usual. And I really think it's because of that video. Okay. I'm a little bit speechless because, wow, I, I have never thought of any of these three really great ideas. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I just feel it's almost like a weight on me whenever I look into my folder that has all of my videos. I'm like, it's such a shame. There's so much energy that went into those and they're beautiful and I'm proud of them, but what more can I do with them? I've been talking about repurposing footage a lot lately and it seems to be like this really awesome aha moment for people. Like, first of all, if you're just starting out shooting video, I think it can be a neat thing to keep in your mind as you move forward. But for anyone that shot, I mean, even if you, all you have is 10 videos, there's still probably a lot of potential there to do some sort of roundup, whether it's just like easy desserts or like however you can like look, find some commonality between the recipes. You also can even just do a video that's like, I, I would love to do one this year that I should start working on soon. It's just like my four most popular recipes of 2019 and just kind of slice those together. It's just a fun new piece of content to have for either social media or YouTube or have it somewhere on your blog. Oh my goodness. I absolutely love that. I know that people are going to find that really valuable. Thank you for sharing all of that. Let's talk money now. I know we all create videos 
just because they're fun, well, some of us, but making money off of those videos and efforts that we put into them is an important part of it too. So talk to us about ways that we can use food videos to produce revenue. So yeah, there are a lot of different really neat avenues that you can go down when it comes to making money with video. I saw the potential with video from an early point, like I just, my gut told me like video is going to be really big when it comes to food blocking. And I really wanted to be at the front of that. So I spent as much time as I could understanding how to shoot video and like really trying to improve my food videography. And it really paid off because like very quickly I started having people asking me about if I could do their videos for them. And this is before like I didn't know anybody else that was doing it. Now you can find, if you go into a Facebook group, there are a lot of people that offer that service, but it like didn't exist. And I got really lucky at the time. I emailed Lindsay from Pinch of Yum kind of like on a whim. And we're not like necessarily friends. We've met a couple of times, but I emailed her and I was like, hey, I, I saw that you hired someone for video, like a full-time person. And I was like, do you think that that could be a thing? Like, do you do you think other bloggers would be interested in that if I kind of started developing a portfolio and she was like, actually, and then she referred my first two clients and then it just like became this really awesome big thing from there. And I mean, everything we've talked about so far today is just like hinted at the fact of like video is super important and people need it, but it's also very time consuming and can be kind of complex. So there are a lot of bloggers and out there that would love to hire for video. So that that's one avenue. So right now I still work with clients. My husband works full time with me. So we kind of like have a food videography business, but we're, we're slowly weaning ourselves off of that. Like we just dropped a client. We're dropping another one in the new year as my blog continues to grow. And so that's a great avenue is just like making videos for other bloggers also for brands. Like I've done some branded work where it wasn't sponsored. It was just like, I was making a video for them to post like as their own on their own social media accounts. Like that's a really neat avenue that you can go down when it comes to your blog. Like again, as my blog has grown, I've been getting a lot more like sponsorships and working with brands and I'm pushing video on all of, I think next year I've seen a lot of bloggers do this. I'm going to make it my policy that I won't do a sponsorship unless it includes video because the reach with video is just so much greater. Like I, like every sponsorship I do does so much better if there's a video involved. And I, I want to be able to perform for the brand. Like I don't just want to take their money. I want to be able to like really help promote their brand and get their name out there. And so and for me, video is the best way to do that. So I've been seeing a ton of success with getting branded work because a, a lot of bloggers still aren't doing video and a lot of brands really want video. So I think I've gotten picked for campaigns over others a lot of times because I have that, like I have a good video portfolio and a lot of times they're looking for that. And so that's another great way that I've made money with it. And then one of the other big ones is, I mean, for me right now, like I, I embed all of my videos onto my blog and with AdThrive. So I have like the AdThrive video player and that is like of all the money I make, I think that it ends up being about a quarter of my ad revenue. At this point, I make quite a bit. Like it's a really hefty amount of money every month that I'm making just from like the ads that are played on videos on my site, which is really neat to me. And like, I could have never guessed that when I first started video. I am too with AdThrive and I love how they break that out because I mean, you can go at any, on any given day, you can go in and see exactly how much you're making just from the video. And I think that's so valuable to be able to see that. And it changes for me anyway with the season. So like now I'm making more than maybe like in June. Mm -hmm. um, and that might be different for everyone too. But 
I just think there's such value in that because otherwise you really have no idea where is this coming from? What? Why am I getting this money? <laughs> like, what are people seeing that is making me get this money? So I love that they break it down like that. Those are like the main ways that people are making money right now with video for sure. I like your idea to just kind of offer that as a something that makes uh, work with sponsors more robust or more complete is just including a video because I think that some people actually shy away from making videos for brands because it's so much more work. But I love the idea of actually coming to them with that. Like I, I would like to create a video for you. And I think on their end, that would be nothing but good <laughs> for them. I used to have like, I'm kind of just like making these prices up, but I used to like say I charged like $1,000 for a sponsored post. I would charge like 1700 or 1500 or 1700 to include a video. And most of the times brands were electing for that. So I used to come at this topic from like, oh, you can make a lot more money with video. Now my plan, like in the future, I think is to just like kind of only like I have a friend who does like, again, I'm making these numbers up kind of, but like she does like $1,500 for a sponsored post or $1,700 to include video. So she gives them that option to not have video, but she makes it so like they almost just have to get video because like she wants it. She sees that she knows that it'll bring them more value and it's not a lot of extra money for her, but she's charging more on the front anyways, trying to encourage the brands to just like go for that video option. You also mentioned doing video production for other bloggers, which I know that some people have gone out into that, experimented with that. And then, yeah, like if you have a good setup and you get in a groove and you can kick out a bunch of videos in a day, then why not? It's a really neat thing. I mean, it's like, it's completely changed my life. Like I got one regular client and then from the little bit of money I was making from my blog three years ago, I was able to quit my job. I still work with that client now. I do one to two videos for her a week. And so it's like been such an amazing relationship. So I, like, I think I said this earlier, I have seven regular video clients and some, I only do like two to three videos a month. And some I do one to two videos per week. I haven't taken on a new client in I think almost two years. So all of these bloggers I've worked with for years now, and they're all amazing and I have great relationships with all of them. And they're just all like really amazing women. And I like get excited just thinking about like, I feel honored that I work in this industry and I get to work with all these amazing women. So I've always wondered for people who branch out into that area of doing other bloggers video, are the logistics just a nightmare? Like as far as getting groceries and... Yeah, it definitely can be. So my husband works with me. I used to have an editor, a video editor that would help with the editing. And then I had a kitchen assistant that would come to my house and prep everything and then clean the dishes. And so then about a year and a half ago, my husband quit his job and took over all of those roles. So it's really nice. We're at the point now where I work on client work about two days per week. And then my husband does the rest. So he edits all of the client videos. I'm basically like the hand model for the videos. I hit record on my camera and I record everything. He buys all of the groceries. He preps all of the food. He cleans all of the dishes. Then he handles like all of the like sending out invoices. And if we have questions about recipes, like oftentimes it happens that like my clients live all over the country or actually I have one in Canada too. Like I can't find an ingredient. Like it's just not sold. Like he communicates like, Hey, do you think you could ship this to us? Cause we don't have it in our area. He communicates all of that. And so if it's something you get in and it's working well for you, I highly suggest getting help as soon as possible. I, I learned, I was like, wow, if I have somebody edit my videos, I could 
like film an extra three to four or however many videos per week and like actually make a decent chunk more money. I like editing, but having to sit down and edit like seven videos a week can be exhausting. It's so time consuming. Editing video, I did it for a while too, and I didn't mind it. I mean, it was kind of fun. It's a a creative outlet, but when you have to do hours and hours, it's like you start thinking I could be using this time to do so many other things. And my husband's extremely analytical. And so he loves to just, that he gets to like just sit at his computer and do that. And it's like almost kind of mindless. Like you don't have to think too much while you're doing it. So um, if people, like if it's something people want to get into, like you can reach out to me on social media or whatever, and I'll talk about it. I, I love to talk numbers and business and I'm really open about like how much I make and everything. So if people have questions about it and are wanting to explore that as an avenue, it was, it's been great for me as a way to, like, I was one of those people that like hated my day job and was like desperate to get out of it. And it was this awesome way for me to quit my job and work from home. And then like, I never would have guessed, but then my husband was also able to quit his job and we love the flexibility that it allows. Then since then, I've kind of like tried to take a step back from it so that I can focus more on my own content. Oh, that's all great stuff. And I think that's super kind of you to offer that just for people to be able to reach out to you. So thank you for doing that. So we have covered so much value. I'm kind of excited to get this episode edited so I can go back and listen. I always like when I'm in it, I don't truly hear everything, but going back through, I'm like, oh, I pull out little things. So I'm really excited to do that with this one. So I just have a couple questions for you that we didn't cover yet. What are some creative ways to capture the attention of viewers within the first few seconds of watching a video? Since most people dwindle off, I think the last I heard was like eight seconds or something like that. What are some really creative ways to capture people? Like I mentioned before the cheese pull that obviously did it, but what else? I think I like to, as another example of experimenting with things, I love like hero shots. And that's just kind of like, like you said, like the really sexy cheese pulls or just like final complete shots of the final dish. And I like to get really up close and personal. It's when that macro lens comes in handy and I like to keep it kind of fast as well. So that's just like a new thing is happening literally every second or like a different angle. I know someone, I have, I know a friend who she she has like, she has, I think 2.4 million Instagram followers and is like really big on video. And I talk to her a lot and she says, She's kind of the opposite. She doesn't do those hero shots at the beginning at all. She likes to start with like a really unique and cool way of prepping an ingredient, like something that's just like really weird and off the wall. Like she like researches different ways to like, oh, if you like pull a piece of parsley through your colander, it'll like get all the leaves off of the stem, like really interesting things like that. Pinch of yum often starts with just like a process shot or just jumps into it. So it kind of gives that a little bit of an intrigue and mystery of like, what is this going to be? Like, they just did this kind of weird thing. And now where are they going to go with this? And I think it's just experimenting what works with your audience. Yeah, I like that idea of doing something intriguing that just kind of gets your thoughts stirring. Like, what is going on? I have to keep watching. Yumna from Feel Good Foodie. She does that extremely well. She almost always has some like really cool, like, like random little like way of prepping an ingredient that she puts at the beginning of her videos that always makes like every time I'm like, that was, I've never seen that ingredient prepped that way. That was cool. And now I want to see how she's going to like use the rest, like what she's going to do with it now. Yeah, it pulls you in. It sucks you in. Okay, next question from an SEO perspective. Do you believe that adding video to a blog page enriches the page from Google's perspective? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, it's like a thing that Google sees. It's a cue to Google. Like it's that, hey, this blog has this like extra bit of information. If people watch that video, they're staying on your page longer, which is a cue to Google 
that, hey, like this was valuable. Somebody stayed on this page twice as long as the other page. Maybe we should rank it higher. But then also, like, I'm really trying to um, keep my eyes on this. But obviously, like for me, I think mobile is like something like 80% of my traffic right now. And so I look, I try really hard to look at everything on my phone. Like I think as bloggers, we get so into our desktop, but only 20% of our viewers are on a desktop. Most people are on mobile. And where I'm going with this is that when I search recipes on my phone, sometimes videos are popping up first, which is really neat. But also if you, you know, like when you search a recipe, you'll see like a carousel of recipes where it's kind of like squares. Google will autoplay your video now sometimes. And that's super attention grabbing. Like when you see it, like a lot of times I'll, it'll be like the six recipe down, but it's, it auto plays the video. And so it's like, I, my, my brain just like doesn't even see the recipes above it. I just see like, oh, there's movement happening on my screen and I want to click on that one. I feel like more and more yeah. video is going to be really important when it comes to SEO. Do you think it's helpful to put video within the title? So if you have a video within your blog post, is it helpful to have like... I don't know. Honestly, I've experimented with it and I can't really see the value in it. I think it's very rare that someone is like, ooh, this has got a video. Like they don't consciously think of it unless it's something that they know they want a video for. Like they're specifically seeking out how to properly crimp a pie crust and they know like their brain is like, oh, video would be helpful. But I think most of the time, I don't think it helps. I've kind of experimented with it and I haven't really been able to figure it out one way or the other. Yeah, I can see where if it were like a how-to cooking video, then someone might be more inclined to click. I noticed a lot of bloggers doing it when video kind of really started getting popular like two years ago. And it would like, they would put in parentheses, like, and a video or whatever, but I don't see very many people doing it anymore as much. So I don't, I don't think it really makes a difference. I don't think. All right. Um, One last question. It's obviously not feasible for a lot of us to create a video for every single post we publish, but what are your thoughts for minimum number of videos we should be posting? I don't know, monthly or weekly or whatever. Shoot. Um, I don't know if there's a minimum, but for the longest time was aiming for it for one a week. The longest time it was like I was aiming for one a week. I am one of those crazy people now that I'm aiming to have a video with every single recipe, which is a lot, but I've also done video for a while. So I have like a really smooth rhythm with it. I would say like, if you're starting out, try and try and do one a week. And if you can up that to two, that would be great. And again, it, it kind of is like, what do you like, or do you mean like on YouTube or your blog? But I think overall, like one a week is a good place to start. Let's say that someone decides to just do that one a week. Are there types of recipes that we should be focusing on? Let's say we do like dinner recipes, dessert recipes. You mentioned those being mostly popular for a lot of bloggers. Would we focus on those? I would say, especially if you're just starting out, just go to Google, I think, and just start with your most popular recipes. Like if, if a recipe is your number one on Google, Or if you have a recipe that is already performed, like the photo did amazing on Instagram or whatever, I would start there, like start with what you already know people like and make a video of that. And then also I like starting with like what's best on Google, because if you rank number one, or even if you were close to number one, uh, like a a good way to hold that ranking is to like, just add more value to the post with a video. So I think that that's a really good place. Um, and then, yeah, I, I always just recommend starting with what's most popular, like what's already popular for you. So it might be worthwhile just to go back through some of your most popular content that's already published. And just, I like what you said, adding value, because I do think that 
anytime you add a video to a post, you are adding tons of value to it. Yeah. And then kind of ties in with that. Like one of the things I've done is as I've dove into SEO, as everyone is doing these days is if I find like low hanging fruit posts, meaning if I've got a post that's ranked like the top of the second page and I really want to get it to the first page, or maybe it's ranked number three or four. And I would love to get it to that number one spot. If it doesn't have a video, that's my top priority. Like over a lot of other things is like, I'm going to add a video to that post because a lot of times I've, it's proven to be the boost that it needed to get it to number one or to the first page or like whatever my goal was like to give it some sort of a boost in SEO. Like a video is really, I've like seen that for sure. Yeah. That's all great advice. All right, Britta, we have covered a ton of value, but before we say goodbye, tell us about your course, Food Video Academy. Yeah. Thank you for asking. So I have done video for years now and I'm super passionate about it as I hope it has come across in this interview. So look, my good friend and I, Lorena from Green Healthy Cooking, we created a course called the Food Video Academy and we've both been doing video for a long time. Lorena focused really heavily on Facebook with her videos and she grew her Facebook. I think she's at 600,000 um, Facebook followers now most and she attributes that like, like 99% to video. And so we created a course called the Food Video Academy that just can get you started. A lot of what we talked about today, but really in detail. And we show you like how to set up your equipment and we walk you through step-by-step how to edit all of your videos, which I think is a big pain point for a lot of people is, all right, now I've shot the video, but like that was only half of the work. We also, as part of that, created like a free crash course, which we answer like 20 of the most commonly asked questions when it comes to starting out with video. And you can find that at foodvideoacademy.com. And I'm really excited about this course. We just launched it and we're really passionate about it. And it's got like, we spent a lot of time recording the courses and they're just really good. And I'm excited about them. I can hear your passion for this topic. And I love that. So I, I mean, it just like seeps through your personality. And I think when you're really passionate about something like you are about video, that it just really shines like you're the content that you create really shines. So I'm excited to check that out. Um, you mentioned that you have a crash course, which is super exciting. Um, and I think a lot of people will be interested to check that out too. So thanks for sharing that. Oh, well, it's time to say goodbye. Thank you so much for everything you've shared. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to be here. Before you go, share with us a favorite quote or words of inspiration for our fellow food bloggers. And this just applies well to everything we talked about today too. But there's this YouTuber that I love. It's a it's actually family vloggers on YouTube called the Michelax. And they create these like amazing, like really artsy kind of like documentary style vlogs they do once a week. And he likes to talk about business a lot and something he said, and it's like, was really inspirational and getting me started with video. But he said, when it comes to creating things, like it doesn't have to be good and it doesn't even have to be great. It just has to exist. And that was like such a neat thing for me because a lot of times I get caught up, whether it's photography or videography or whatever, like creating something. And I'm like, this isn't very good. And then I remind myself like that doesn't matter because I did it and I put it out into the world and like the next one will be better. And so like it just has to exist. Like you just have to start creating. I love that. I think the perfectionism in all of us can come out and stop us once in a while from creating, just creating, like you said. So great words. Thank you for sharing that. Britta has a list of favorite resources relating to food videography, and I will put all of those on her show notes page. You can find those at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Britta. Britta, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. 
Um, my blog is foodwithfeeling.com or you can find me on Instagram at foodwithfeeling. Awesome. Thank you again, Britta, for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.